My guest today is Patrick Ferenga, the president and publisher of Growing Without Schooling magazine and a repeat guest on this podcast. Welcome back, Pat. Hey, thanks for having me, Blake. Nice to talk to you again. You too. For those who don't know you and your work, can you give us a quick intro? Certainly. I started work uh, back in 1981 uh, at Holt Associates, and my first job was to unpack the hardcover editions of Teach Your Own, which were just coming through the door. And now, 40 years later, I'm writing the third edition of Teach Your Own. The book has been continuously in print since then. And um, I revised it in 2003, and I'm now <laughs> revising it again in 2021. So uh, it's, it's been a, a part of me. Listeners who, who don't know John Holt or Growing Without Schooling, could you also tell us a, a quick bit about those? Certainly. Um, John Holt was a, a private school teacher uh, who wrote a book called How Children Fail about his experiences teaching in fifth grade and um, uh, how fear and um, the uh, testing regime of, of the schools uh, created what he called a charade of learning, where everyone is careful not to forget what they studied until the test is done, <laughs> and then everyone forgets it. And um, that book led him uh, to some great fame. Uh, and then his second book, How Children Learn, um, which is celebrated its 50th year in print. How Children Fail is still in print, but uh, How Children Learn seems to, to just continue selling. And what John did there was write about what children, how children learn before they go to school and what that's like and how school alters that, um, in many cases, for the worse. And so those two books sort of established John as a school reformer, which he was until the late 70s, when he gave up on schools. And he was sort of writing books about uh, children's rights, like Escape from Childhood, and then Instead of Education, where he was talking about how else what are other ways that we can help children learn besides telling them to sit down, shut up, and do as I say? And um, these books led him to uh, the homeschooling movement uh, because he was always looking for ways to help children escape. In fact, he called for an underground railroad to help children escape the, the uh, harmful effects of That's compulsory wild. schooling. Yeah. yeah, and uh, he wound up uh, finding out that there was this large number although they were very disparate, of homeschoolers in the United States. So he started a magazine for them called Growing Without Schooling in 1977. And then that led to him to write the book Teach Your Own in 1981, which uses uh, many, many stories that people had written into the magazine about. And then um, John died in 1985 from cancer, and I took over the business and uh, became a publisher and um, published the magazine until 2001. So for another 16 years, uh, we continue. And Growing Without Schooling is the first publication about uh, learning at home, uh, probably in the world. <laughs> I mean, you know, there were books written about learning at home, but not magazines, uh, ongoing publication at that point. And even then, like, there weren't too many books about teaching kids at home. I mean, we found some from the 1920s, you know, Rita Sherman, um, and then uh, I forget the guy's name now, but in the Atlantic Monthly, he had a, a thing about uh, in the 50s about teaching his children at home, but few and far between. So this is the 40th anniversary of the book Teach Your Own. That's You've been doing this for four decades. That's correct. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and homeschooled my three daughters. Our oldest just turned 35 on Thursday, <laughs> last Thursday. Wow. 
And, you know, you and John Holt were advocates more for unschooling than homeschooling, but you've had your, you know, you've been aware of this entire world of homeschooling for so long that this is why I wanted to bring you on, uh, on this show to discuss this conference that's happening. And the question I want to start out with is, um, have you, but before we, we talk about the specifics of this conference, have there been previous academic conferences about homeschooling in the past? Is this just something that recurs uh, every five or 10 years? Uh, or is this really a, a new thing? I think this is a new thing. There have been conferences. Um, for instance, I spoke at one in Bogota, Colombia, uh, that was um, put on, you know, for, and it had some homeschool researchers and advocates and, and so on. Um, but largely, you know, I'm considered an advocate, not a researcher, which, of course, I, I am. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't engage in, you know, quantitative or qualitative research. So uh, I, I would not be invited to, to those things. But um, I'm aware of them. And they, they've been small gatherings for, um, you know, researchers. Uh, but there's been nothing like what happened um, now at Harvard, where they actually did a, a six one week, well, six panels over six weeks, you know, and each panel's one hour long in a different facet of homeschooling. Um, and that's, that's new, um, you know, and especially the fact that it's open to the general public. Um, that also is quite refreshing to me to see, because usually, you know, these, you know, you, you get together and, you know, you recognize a few of the names from papers you've read and stuff, and you're all in a room uh, listening to each other. But, um, I really like the idea that, you know, there's a lot of other people listening in on this and offering their opinions and, um, and getting information. So I, I think this is, this is unique. Um, and also, of course, Blake, it started because, you know, um, uh, Elizabeth Bartholet at the Harvard School of Law uh, called to, uh, uh, to ban homeschooling in 2020. She started out of the gate with a very extreme position. Yes. And I had her on my podcast to explain her position. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a very, uh, very interesting one. I, I cannot say that mm -hmm. I fully disagree with everything she says, like, and mm -hmm. we're, we're going to get into this, like, th there's some really interesting nuance here. So I, I agree, I'm, I'm really happy to see this conference happening. And the fact that it's open to the public. And while it's very academic, it's very research driven, uh, you know, e everyone who's showing up to speak here is either a professor or a researcher. Uh, it does feel quite accessible. They're not using highly technical language or jargon. Um, you right. do need to know a little bit of something about social science, uh, about like how to vet statistics, but it's pretty basic. Uh, okay, mm -hmm. so just to, to give an overview, this online conference, which is taking place right now as we're recording this um, this interview is a, a seven part, I think you said six part, but it's a seven part series, ah. um, one hour each week from May 6th to June 17th, 2021. And it's called the post pandemic future of homeschooling. And right now in this episode, you and I are go going to discuss the first four weeks of the conference. And then we're going to come back together again to discuss the, the final three weeks of the conference and, and maybe share any any final thoughts we have, Pat? So I'm excited to mm -hmm. do this two-parter with you. And the first four weeks that we're going to be discussing today uh, cover, is it time for a change to homeschool law? That was week one. Week two was growth and diversity in post-pandemic homeschooling, or as they described it when they were actually running the session, trends in homeschooling. 
session three was, are homeschoolers prepared for life? And they took a very conventional definition of life, uh, meaning academics and like measurable socialization skills uh, and ability to perform in college. And then finally, week four was, are homeschoolers socially isolated? And week one, tell me if you agree, was by far the most like fireworky, uh, most interesting, like there was like some arguing there. There was a lot of like conflicting strong views in week one uh, because they were really asking the million dollar question. Like, do we need to change laws regarding homeschooling in the United States? Uh, yeah. 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 And and also it featured lawyers instead of researchers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pretty much everyone else since then has been, uh, I'd say, cut from the same cloth. Uh, you know, they're academics. Mm -hmm. uh you know, researchers doing relatively small studies. And, and I, I'd say that a lot of them are fairly friendly to homeschooling. But in week one, we had, <laughs> we had uh, Professor Bartholet herself, who's calling for the most uh, extreme uh, forms of oversight and regulation. And also uh, her friend, uh, Professor Jim Dwyer, who is another person who I had on this show previously, uh, who mm -hmm. is a bit less extreme, but uh, definitely still calling for for a change in homeschooling law. And so uh, I wanted to actually skip week one and get into week two with you, Pat, because I think that week one will give us so much to talk about. And it, it actually connects to these other weeks that let's let's circle back to that one. And let's okay. start with week two. Okay, cool. So week two was uh, about trends in homeschooling. And this was essentially who homeschools nowadays. And I I want to first find out from you, Pat, did you learn anything that surprised you? Um, no, uh, a lot, a lot of this is the same stuff that I've been hearing for 40 years. We don't have enough data to make decisions. We don't, we don't have enough, um, um, uh, respondents, you know, uh, coming to this and, um, probably, um, I mean, it, it was, it's confirmed some stuff for me, but, um, what did, it again, confirm? I, what did it confirm for you? Well, first of all, that homeschooling works <laughs> after 40 years of, of watching people do this, that, you know, the academics are still saying the same thing that it doesn't seem to harm or do anything, make you any better. It, it's, you know, um, they're, they're sort of agnostic. Uh, yeah, on, that, on, that, on it. that sounds like you're getting into to session number three right there. The like, are homeschoolers prepared for, for life uh, question in, in this, uh, mm. in the second session, I think they were really trying really hard just to describe, like, how do we know who is homeschooling and how many people are homeschooling and what kind right. of people are homeschooling? Like, how right. do we even well, ask these questions in the first place? Yeah. And, and I thought that that was really interesting having the statistician from the U.S. Census, yes. you know, um, you know, talk, talk about like the issues. Um, and I believe it was in the one of the sessions that followed that uh, Dr. Kunzman uh, picked up on it, talking about like problems with the pulse survey, yes. which um, they brought up um, in, in the second yeah. in the yeah. second session. Yeah, which show that like um, I, just so correct me if I if I get the the this description wrong, but 
But um, basically, they've been following the numbers of homeschoolers, and we've all always seen this number, 3%. You know, it's been around for a decade at least. Uh, 3% of the school-age population is homeschooling. And now um, they did a a survey, which they called the Pulse Survey, uh, during the pandemic. And I guess it showed that the number was doubling or tripling at that point. Um, Yeah, and I think the initial number that they found in spring 2020 was about 5% of families reporting any sort of homeschooling. And then by fall 2020, that number had jumped to 11%. Um, and yes. and I, I think specifically this means like, do you have at least one kid who is doing some form of homeschooling uh, mm-hmm. in your household? And, and then mm-hmm. they went on to say like, but this is very experimental, new research. It's a low response rate. Like, don't, don't put all your eggs in this basket yet. Right. And also that there was a problem with the questionnaire. Apparently you can answer, I am homeschooling my child and also answer my child is enrolled in public school because... Both were true for someone in the pandemic at that point. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, 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 it, and that's very confusing. So that screws the data right there. Yeah. Something that really stood out to me mm-hmm. from Sarah Grady, who's that surveyor you mentioned, uh, who does the mm-hmm. National Center for Education Statistics work, um, which is, you know, ever since I started looking into this stuff, that's been the, the gold standard for like how many homeschoolers are there in the United States. Right. And, and I had this idea that, that the, some census survey was going out to millions of families and asking them, do you homeschool? (laughs) And then I I am shocked and a a bit alarmed to learn from Sarah Grady that, well, it's very difficult to get high quality survey data, randomized data from the U S population. And so they would send out something on the order of, I I think it was 50,000, but on on the order Mm -hmm. of tens of thousands or maybe a hundred thousand surveys just completely randomly to addresses chosen out of databases. So they have no idea who they're sending this stuff to via postal mail. And then they're asking people to then respond to this online, but only it's a education survey. It's about schooling. And so all the families who don't have kids or don't have kids in school, they're immediately out. And so it just gets Mm -hmm. winnowed down, down and down and down. And then there's people who start the survey and they don't finish it. And so in the end, where this 3% number has come from uh, is like something like 550 families. Like that's the total sample size of the NCES uh, study. And then 3% mm-hmm. of those 500 something families are the ones who are declared to be homeschooling and the ones from which we get the, the demographic information about income and, and race and all this other stuff that, that gets prominently shared online as like, here are the stolid statistics for who's homeschooling in the US. I was shocked by that. Did, did you know that the sample size was so low, Pat? I did. I did know that. Um, and, and, but again, like that, that's pro- always been part of the problem. And, and, you know, the feds, you know, the federal researchers are saying we need better state data, you know, and I guess that's true, but at the state level, you know, uh, so much of this, you know, I, I think this is where like people like, um, the lawyers would, would, would really want to jump in, you know, um, we, if you don't have a representative number of how many people are homeschooling in, in the state, how, you know, how, how do you get the national number? I mean, it's still guesswork, you know, but yeah. uh, at the same time, you know, we have this, this patchwork of, of states 
of state schooling was, which is why like that first session kind of bothered me. Uh, it bothered me on two levels, Blake. One, just because I've been in this for so long and I've homeschooled my own children, you know, my wife and I did, and you know, we've had a great, yeah, you know, it, it worked out very well for us. And our kids went to school sometimes, came out. You know, we've been 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 all over the the map with the with this. And it still bothers me that a bunch of people who've never homeschooled and whose home whole basis is about getting, you know, and, and their their jobs, everything is is based on college. And so therefore college is the be all and end all of, of their educational experience. And they're judging parents, you know, like myself, I'm pretty urban. But, you know, I, I think a lot of families living in, in, in rural areas, I mean, they have a completely different experience of homeschooling than, than I do in, in, in Boston. And, you know, to, to, to just make this, this idea that we are the experts and, you know, we're going to tell you what you should be doing. I was, I was really kind of put off by that. But I'm, uh, I'm glad to see that there is very little of that attitude coming across. A few people it comes across, you know, when they present and in, mm-hmm. in some of the writings, but um, no, there's you know, very little, I'm, there's very little like condescending. There's very little yes. saying like those people. No. If yeah. I was really, I was really you know, pleased by that. And yeah. um, oh gosh. Um, who's the moderator, Peter Parkinson. Is that his name or Paul Parkinson? Uh, P- Paul Peterson. Paul Peterson, he's been an excellent, excellent moderator. I agree. I feel. He's he's really done a great job of of, of keeping everything fair. Yeah, <laughs> and know? he's from so, the the Harvard Grad School of Ed, and so that's nice yes. to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, so, um, so so yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I want to move on to to someone else who appeared in this second session mm-hmm. and who has appeared in the homeschooling world for a long, long time, and this is Brian Ray. Dr. Brian Ray mm-hmm. from the HSLDA Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And this organization um, is and, and national, actually, his group is NERI, uh, National Home Education Research Institute. Yes, which but, is a uh, which uh, is a front for the homeschool. Uh, exactly. It was funded by HSLDA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so for those of you who haven't heard of, of any of this before, I mean HSLDA has been around. Uh, for a long time, since the the seventies, and and they did a lot of well, the actually inf- since the eighties, I believe. Oh, okay, they, yeah. So, and and they did a lot of uh, legal battling on behalf of homeschoolers to make homeschooling legal and accessible in all fifty mm-hmm. states in the United States, and so they definitely deserve some credit. Uh, they're also, um, you know, deeply rooted in in a, a religious approach to homeschooling, and that's definitely the. The, the main demographic that they're advocating for. Although as far as I can tell, they're, they're truly advocating for the rights of all homeschoolers, not just religious homeschoolers. Uh, and Brian Ray is like their like main research guy because he has a PhD and he's published a bunch of studies. And when I started getting into this world in the early 2000s, his name popped up over and over again as like the, the guy who did research on homeschooling. And I thought, great, there's scientific research on homeschooling and it shows that kids do homeschooled kids do better academically speaking and socially speaking than, than kids who go to public schools. And wow, this, this guy has done some incredible research. That's how it appeared uh, to me in the beginning, Pat. Uh, what's your mm-hmm. relationship to, to, to this guy and the HSLDA? I'm curious. Well, I've known Brian for ever, ever since, you know, he, pretty much he, he got started. Um, and same thing with um, HSLDA. I don't know the, 
the people personally, but like I've actually met Brian in person a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, when he's been in Boston and then, um, and we've gotten together, but, um, you know, Brian's research, um, you know, and, and he, he admits it, you know, uh, it, it is limited, um, by its sample size and it tends to, to go around the, you know, um, the topics that again would, um, favor, uh, people who, who want to homeschool for religious reasons and, you know, um, make sure that, um, you know, their, their family is, um, um, what's the, the word I'm looking for um, is, is religiously observant um, in their, in their homeschooling. Um, and so, you know, his, his research, you know, ten, you know, and it tended to be selective, but again, it was sample size and he's always, he's, he's trying to reach out and, and, and do that, but that's always been a problem with homeschooling yeah. research. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it, you know, while, while I understand the criticism, it's, it's, it's also kind of hard to, to fault the guy because that, I mean, he, he's chosen to work in that, in that small, smaller area, you know, but, uh, <laughs> and then in the bigger area, you know, um, there, there really seems to be a political end to it, you know, mm, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> You know, they want to uh, preserve, you know, the family's right to tell their children what to do and um, keep the girls, you know, home and pregnant and um, it's, stuff it's like that. It's a real that. Uh, parents' rights approach. That's the, yes. the key phrase yes. there. That's right. And, and, and by the way, states' rights, too. They, they, they often yeah, threaten right. that, which, again, has that, those overtones of the Civil War and all that stuff, which really... I, I really wish we could uh, figure out ways of, of of talking about children and their place in society without always having to go back to all these concepts that that seem to trump the discussion. Well, <laughs> well, this is why coming back to week one is going to be very interesting because uh, Professor Bartholet's argument is that um, it, this is about a, a children's rights, uh, you know, potential loophole, and and she takes this very. Uh, you know, kind of federal level, human rights level approach to like worrying about kids who could be abused. But we're going to, we're going to come back to that. I just wanted to comment on the the state's rights versus, uh, you know, perhaps human Mm -hmm. rights uh, angle here. I'm going to be a little bit more critical uh, about Brian Ray, uh, having never met the guy. um, I think that when I encountered his research and when I've seen how other people interpret his research, it's, it's held up as like some sort of authoritative study on, on how homeschoolers are equal or superior to, to schooled students. And once I had like a, a basic awareness of, of social science research, I realized that, that he is not comparing apples to apples. He's comparing apples to oranges. And the, the most concise way to put it is when you're looking at a, a normal sample of homeschoolers, you're looking at uh, people who come from families that have a little bit more money uh, that have parents who are a bit more formally educated and, and just those two factors alone, like conspire to produce higher academic outcomes, for example. And, and so you have to take class into account and you have to match uh, the, the homeschoolers who you're studying to a similar socioeconomic bracket of schooled students. And then when you do that, you are comparing apples to apples. And and everything I've seen from the HSLDA and the NHERI, their you know, research front, 
Um, you know, just they just don't lay that out there. Now, to Brian's credit, in this uh, second session, he said, uh, yes, uh, most of this work is, are, these are non-representative samples of upper middle class white Americans. And I, I mm -hmm. applauded, I applauded him when he said that. Um, but the rest mm -hmm. of, of what he was saying, I felt, well, first of all, it was quite scattered. I found it uh, hard to follow. His slides were, were not helpful. And, uh, and he did a lot of defense, defensive maneuvering against what uh, Elizabeth Bartholet called uh, junk science, which I'm, I'm sure that that label was directed at Brian Ray and his research, mm -hmm. but, but broadly, broadly speaking, all sorts of research in the homeschooling world. Um, all right, there's a, a critical take on Brian Ray. Do you think I'm, I'm being fair here? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I mean, Brian is, you know, is respected researcher and, uh, and you know, but in, when it comes to the larger field, I think that he's going to, yeah, he's in a niche, yeah, you know, and, and also, you know, like me, I mean, I mean, he's an advocate, but unlike me, he's also a researcher. So he's in that, that weird, weird thing. Researchers are supposed to be, but of course, like I, I said at the top, you know, we have all these researchers whose careers are based on college. Naturally, they think going to college is, is what every child should do. You know, so, yes. and then like, you know, when Bartholet talks about a meaningful education, well, what does that mean? What's meaningful? You know, I mean, Brian Ray would be the first day teaching my child the Bible is the most meaningful thing I could do. And, you know, right. The, the, that's a perfectly legitimate state, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't think that's what It's a legitimate statement for, for an individual to make, but not for a researcher who's supposed to be taking an objective well, stance on this. Well, there you go. Like, you know. that, that makes that <laughs> makes me trust him less and or anyone. Uh, I'm sorry. That's yeah. I guess that's my bias. No, no, no. I, I, no, I get it. No, I get it. You know, yeah. I, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, it, 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 you know, it flip flops between being an advocate and a researcher and then. You know, the ones who, who, who try real hard to, to be on, not honest, to be fair, um, you know, um, they all, you know, they, they all, they also come down on, on the side of, well, we really don't know. Like it works for some, it doesn't yeah. seem to work for others. Yeah. So, well, that, that's a good transition into uh, week three, session three of this, which is our homeschoolers prepared for life. And what I really liked is that the two researchers who led this off, Christian Williams and Jennifer Jolly, they just said, we can't answer this question with current right. em empirical data. They were being good scientists and saying, mm -hmm. we just don't have good data because mostly all this research uh, is convenience samples, which means it's mm -hmm. you know, whoever happens to conveniently be around the, the researcher, you know, accessible to their Facebook networks. Or if you're a professor, you ask your undergrads to, uh, you know, participate in the exactly. survey. Um, mm -hmm. Small N, so small sample size and qualitative research. So not, you know, doing things by the numbers, but more interviews. And, and, mm -hmm. and that right there, convenience sample, small N and qualitative I mean, that describes uh, what I consider to be the most popular research um, about homeschooling. And I've had both Peter Gray and Gina Riley on this show to talk about their research. And they are definitely both the first to admit it. And they say, yeah, this is, you know, mostly uh, convenience, 
survey data. We're not mm -hmm. comparing apples to apples. We're just saying that unschooling does work for at least some people out there. And here are their stories and here are their demographics. But yes, these are the people who decided to respond to this survey. And we don't know about mm -hmm. all those other people who didn't respond to the survey or who we couldn't access. So I, I really right. like th that that was put on the table right there in the beginning mm -hmm. of this session. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that's important to get out, you know, um, because here, you know, but I think there's a bigger question in that question, what I'm saying, a bigger issue behind this. And that is when school got started, you know, compulsory school, people forget that we didn't have a whole bunch of research that showed it worked. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Horace Mann started off saying it was we had to teach him the Bible. Then it was getting pushed back <laughs> about that. It became about citizenship, and then it became about child labor, and you know, and and protecting. You know, I mean, whatever rationale worked to get compulsory education laws passed, Horace Mann and, and his allies did it. You know, and then we've seen over over the years how this has become entrenched, and now it's like you know what used to be a four or six year um, compulsory attendance law is now like gosh, you know, they want to start you in preschool and and carry you all the way through college now. And then there's mandatory continuing education that some people threaten for adults. <laughs> you know? Really? I haven't heard about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it's been a, um, there's an, a gentleman named John Olinger. Um, I think he was at Penn State. Um, who was writing about this in the 80s. And in G every now and then, you know, he, he would have an article in GWS, you know, talking about that. But yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if, if we, we see this womb, the idea of womb to tomb schooling, which, uh, you know, well, some people advocates push for. <laughs> that, that's definitely an argument I use when talking with parents. Uh, and I say, well, should you have to go back to some, you know, form of compulsory re-education, you know, should you have right. to, you know, be tested on whether you can remember what's in the Declaration of Independence every 10 years, so you're still a good citizen? Yeah. And they're like, no, of course not. You know, that feels like the cultural revolution or something. And, exactly. and I say, yeah, yet with this, this is just unquestioned logic when we're talking about the first 18 years of life. That's right. That's right. Something else that they brought up was uh, very interesting to me. They said regarding academic abilities among homeschoolers uh, that it might be that there is a wider distribution of measurable academic abilities than you find in the school system. And that passed the sniff test for me, which means you're going to find more super high achieving, what we'd call super smart or gifted kids in the homeschooling community. And you're going to also find kids who, when using conventional academic measures, seem very underperforming. D does that piss, uh, excuse mm -hmm. me, <laughs> does that pass mm -hmm. the sniff test for you? Yes, absolutely. And, and also a lot of things that are not measurable in school, such as learning across disciplines, um, um, being able to uh, integrate uh, various you know, forms of, uh, of information into, into something new um, and, and joy in learning. I mean, they don't, there's none of that, <laughs> you know, in, in the research, very little, let's put it that way, but homeschoolers, yeah. I mean, I, that's, that, that's like their bread and butter. And I imagine if there's research about, uh, personality traits, uh, I mean, I just did an episode about, um, uh, that covered the, the topic of like twice exceptional, uh, kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's definitely, mm -hmm. 
you know, representative of being an outlier on the, the psychological spectrum, but it works so well for so many kids uh, who yeah. don't have these, like what we'd call like, you know, neurotypical uh, psychological profiles. And so, right. Yeah. I, they didn't talk about that, but I kind of wish they did. Here's something I'm sure yeah. that you'll love, Pat. They use the phrase dropout loophole. You know, homeschooling laws may be used as a dropout yes. loophole for students who just want to stop doing anything academic whatsoever. And I was like, yeah, hell yes. That that sounds like the Teenage <laughs> Liberation Handbook to me. It's like, I mean, I told people to do this all the time. It's And, you know, Ken Danford right. does what lots of people do. Like, you want to yeah. stop doing school? Become a homeschooler. You can stop going tomorrow. Like, thank you, exactly. dropout loophole. Right. And well, that's what the word unschool means. <laughs> uh, Learning that doesn't look like school or resemble school. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this, you know, they were not using this phrase in, in a positive light. And oh, no, not at all. In fact, if I remember, they, they, um, they were talking about um, largely teenagers. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I was kind of surprised how, how that would work because you do need your parents to sign off to become an official homeschooler. Yeah. You know, you, you as a child can't. So there would have to be something, you know, so, something there. And also, you know, I, 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 I've never seen a statistic that, that shows like, oh, yeah, this is a problem. There, there, there's a lot of non-homeschoolers claiming to be homeschoolers so they could become dropouts. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I mean, you know, th th that kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. Yeah. It was like, well, I, I can imagine it, but I've never known it to be a problem. But again. Well, you know. so we're still talking about Christian Williams and Jennifer Jolly, and and they said that, that there may be evidence for this dropout loophole, and I and I think of uh. course of course there's a dropout loophole, but but they were saying kids might be dropping out doing nothing that looks productive, and, right? Uh, and so they just didn't have a framework from like the unschooling or self directed or or de schooling point of view to even like right. comprehend that because yeah, well we've right. talked about this before. Right. Um, Right. A few a few things that I liked uh, when they were reviewing the research, they said, and they've really breezed over this one. They said, well, college GPA and retention, so you know whether they stay in school or not, is similar mm -hmm. for homeschoolers yeah. and and school students. And I'm like, okay, well, that's very important. Thank you for for acknowledging that. Um, <laughs> right. And they say the socialization metrics uh, also appear similar. Uh, yeah. And so that's, yeah. that's good. I mean, that, that should really give yeah. parents, this is what I emphasized in, in my most recent book, why are you still sending your kids to school? That like all the decent research essentially says homeschooling is not going to hurt you significantly or harm your kids significantly. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, you know, of course there's right. always outliers, but it's just not this, this boogeyman that, that, you know, either detractors like to imagine or proponents like to imagine right. it'll solve all your problems or create a bunch of problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this the yeah. way that homeschooling has been discussed over the, the 40 plus years that you have been in this world, Pat? Um, yeah. Um, when people start comparing like, you know, homeschoolers in college, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, I, mean, I, I remember when, when, when I was uh, first working at a Holt Associates, um, I forget, it was around 1983, I think, when the Colfaxes came out with uh, Homeschooling for Excellence, and their son um, had gotten into Harvard. Or, or three of their and, kids and, got and, into Harvard, right? 
Right. But the first one, Grant, I mean, it was like, I mean, I've told this story before, but um, National Enquirer ran a story about him because he raised dairy goats. And that that was one of the things that Harvard liked about him is that he'd written articles and, and you know, did such a great job of 4-H with dairy goats. <laughs> National Enquirer said, had a headline, Goat Boy Gets Into Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Goat Boy. Sounds like yes. Bubble Boy. Yeah, and in fact, he he wound up going on Johnny Carson because it was so unusual. But even then, I was really surprised. There was another gentleman, a uh, young man named Joel Fields, who was also homeschooled and who was also attending Harvard at the time. And he didn't <laughs> and John, get an illustrious title like Goat Boy. They didn't get the Goat Boy title, but Joel Fields, I've since learned, um, has become, uh, he was a writer in a, a in Hollywood and, and rather successful. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, but yeah. So, so, so this has been around, around, around a while. And, and, you know, and, and again, like the whole idea that college success is the main reason of success. Look, I I'm writing, I, I just finished doing the copy editing on um, the, this new edition of teacher own. And one of the things I've been, been looking at is, is college. Um, I, I always have. Um, and one of the things that, that really hit home to me, if you look at the New York Federal Reserve, um, they, they have studies of college graduates and work. And starting in the early 1990s, something like, well, let, let me give you the number now. It's close to 40%, according to the Federal Reserve of New York, 40% of college graduates are underemployed, meaning they're doing work that can be done by people without a college degree, mm-hmm. 40%. And then in that same survey, 37% of the students um, claim that the only reason they went to college is because their parents made them to. They did it to please their parents. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, this whole idea that, that you know, college is the be-all and end-all, we, we really got to get our... <laughs> Yeah, well, I've written a book about this too. I, I fundamentally agree with you, Pat. I, I would love mm-hmm. to see from that survey the percentage of underemployed high school graduates, because if yeah. that number happens to be higher, then that that's like still a valid reason for for people to get anxious about going to college. It's like, okay, yeah. maybe maybe I won't use my college degree, but at least I won't be stuck with a, a lower credential and un, underemployed. But anyways, this is mm-hmm. a this is a tangent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the next person who came on to comment in week three uh, was Robert Kunzman, who I really mm-hmm. like. I just like this guy. And I, I've read his mm-hmm. stuff before. I've never heard him talk before. But the first thing he said was, we're asking this question, are homeschoolers prepared for life? And he said, which life? Whose life? What yeah. values? Can empirical research even answer this question? And he said, homeschooling is a blurry phenomenon. Families mix their approaches. They change their approaches. It's a very difficult thing to study. And, and so I just really appreciated that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. everyone else w- was operating from a fairly standard definition of like prepared for life means academic success and conventional employment. So right. thank you, Robert Kunzman. Uh, yeah. He then went on to say that based upon the research that he's seen, and he's the co-author of one of my... Uh, no, it is my all-time favorite academic study about uh, homeschooling, and uh, he co-wrote this this paper called "Homeschooling: A Comprehensive Survey of the Research." And it was mm-hmm. first published in 2013, and they updated it. Uh, he and Milton Gaither, uh, the co-author, 
updated mm-hmm. it for 2020. And you can just search Koonsman Gaither homeschooling mm-hmm. paper and you'll find it for free online. Yeah. But like they just like look at every single piece of, of academic uh, research that's out there to form like a very broad picture of the, the outcomes regarding homeschooling. So I really trust this guy. And mm-hmm. he, he goes on to essentially confirm what the previous guests have said. And, and then he says that homeschooling does not change measured test scores, academic test scores, once a f- family background is accounted for, the socioeconomic background. Thank you. Apples to apples. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but he's a bit more agnostic on the socialization and the life outcome stuff. He says that the data is very mixed and inconclusive. You can't say uh, yes or no. So uh, I like it. He he's just a big old agnostic mm-hmm. academic. He's like, listen, we mm-hmm. mostly don't know. We don't. E- we're not even asking the right question. And even if we could, uh, data pr- could probably not answer this question. But at least they get similar test scores. So chill out. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good summary. <laughs> <laughs> Did anything else stand yeah. out to you from this week, Pat? Well, again, you know, the thing that got me is you know. 40 years later, I'm still here and we don't have enough data to make a <laughs> decision yes. one way or the other. What? But can you say this even of someone in school, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, just because you you, you want to be a lawyer, you may change your mind after you go to law school. And, yeah. and then what? <laughs> what does that say? And, about? and just because you get good grades and then you go on and become a lawyer does not mean you have, uh, you know, you're prepared for life. You're living the life you want. There are plenty of miserable that's, lawyers out there. That's absolutely right. Yeah. 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 And, and again, like only like 30, was it some like 33% of Americans have four-year college degrees and I'm yeah. not even sure the number's that high, but that's an awful lot of people without college degrees who are somehow making a living and who, and who need to, to continue making a living. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that, that I think, um, you know, is not being looked at, you know, um, in the research is, is like, you know, what's, what's the positive end of this? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, all we, all we hear about is like compared to school, they're okay. Yeah. But what about all the non-school things that they're doing, you know, and how does that help them? And, yeah. and how does that, that help society? Yeah. You know um, you know, if we're not putting our kids in segregated schools and, you know, s- schools have become more segregated now than they ever were apparently from the statistics I'm seeing, hmm. um, you know, uh, how do we, how, how else can we, you know, put children into society and, and, you know, we do live in a pluralist society and I know that, you know, a lot of conservatives will disagree with me there, but I'm sorry, you know, we, we have to learn to get along and the best way to do that is to, to get along with people yeah. who are different than you. And, and this is something <laughs> that, that is captured by the qualitative research. So that, you know, what Elizabeth Bartholet would call junk science, uh, and for example, the more like narrative uh, research, one of the earlier guests, Cheryl Field Smith, was focused mm-hmm. on on African American mothers specifically who are choosing to homeschool. And uh, and I could tell just from the tenor of the conversation that because uh, she had mostly qualitative kind of story based research, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, we don't really have numbers to talk about here. So let's, let's move along quickly. But, but that kind of research, uh, I, I created this project a few years ago called grownunschoolers.com where grown unschoolers yes. tell their own stories. Uh, the stuff that Peter Riley 
uh, Peter Riley, Peter Gray and Gina Gina. Riley uh, Mm -hmm. have done. Like that's all very important stuff because it it shows what you were just advocating for, Patrick, how homeschoolers are often out there doing really cool stuff out in the communities. You know, I would like to believe Mm -hmm. uh, building bridges and uh, they're not just like monoculture students just doing the same thing over and over again in this isolated institution. And how right. do you measure for that? What is the, the research metric for that? I don't think right. it exists. Right. And and I, I wish they, they would try to figure out a way to do it if, if it's so important, you know? Yeah. But um, apparently, you know, and, and that's the other thing, um, you know, is, is like, you know, look at, you know, look at the amount of uh, falsification of research. I, 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 you know, it's just, just amazing how many scientific studies and research papers, you know, it, it, have, it turns out are junk science by themselves. Well, and these uh, are coming from universities. Are you thinking about the, the replication crisis in social science? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. So I, yeah. I don't think it's quite fair to say that it's, it's uh, like false research. It's just that it can't be easily replicated, which is a giant problem. Like the the marshmallow yeah. study about self control. It's like, oh, we can't reproduce <laughs> these results with a, a new group of kids and marshmallows. Uh, yeah. I I agree that that's that's a, a big problem. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, but meanwhile, totally. the marshmallow study holds holds sway. Like you know, you wouldn't believe, oh, like particularly among parents and teachers. Yeah, yeah, it confirms you know. our, our 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 narratives and uh, mm-hmm. and these very simple concepts like grit or mindset, <laughs> right, uh, right you know, it's easy mm-hmm. to get into our heads. And, yeah. and then for someone to say, well, we can't reproduce the fundamental studies that lead to these conclusions. Uh, it's like, oh, okay, but I really like the conclusions. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, you know, um, delaying gratification, you know, is, is to me is, is one of those things that's important, but also is very um, context sensitive. I mean, you know, if you delay gratification, you could be missing the bird in hand. That's worth two in the bush. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, as someone who eats large bowls of ice cream frequently, uh, I, I see the, the limits of deferred gratification. Uh, but let, <laughs> let, let's move on. Let's move on. So week four, uh, our homeschoolers socially isolated. You were not able to attend this week. So I'll just give my my quick whirlwind summary of, of this one. Essentially, the researchers said, well, here's a bunch of self-reported and correlational research. So, you know, we can't put much faith into it, but what we do have is positive. And it sounds like homeschoolers who are are then later surveyed as adults say that they were not deeply isolated, that, uh, you know, they were socialized in the sense of having contact with people outside the house. Uh, They don't feel like they they were really abandoned. You know, they participated in sports, they use libraries, they do stuff, they're social. And so the answer was essentially, no, homeschoolers are not socially isolated, but we're only hearing from the ones who probably had decent experiences. And we are not hearing from the ones who may have had rough experiences, who were truly sheltered, who were truly isolated, because it's just hard to find these people. people. And even when you do find them, those are not necessarily people who want to tell you all about their lives. Uh, True. Yeah, so that's that was essentially week four, and mm-hmm. there was a bunch of of like hopeful evidence that they're not isolated, but it could be that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, well, you've, you've been covering this question, the, the socialization, mm-hmm. the isolation question for a long time, Pat. Yeah. Have, you, have you seen the, the, the dialogue around this evolve over four decades? No, the dialogue, <laughs> no, you know, in fact, it's funny, um, you know, we're going to get to Dwyer and Bartholet in a minute, but you know, I'm reading his, his book, you know, Homeschooling, mm-hmm. the History and Philosophy of a Controversial Practice, you know, and the first thing that, that leapt out at me is he doesn't once mention that John Holt wrote a book about children's rights, mm. <laughs> he doesn't, mm. you know, and, you know, and, and everything I'm reading is that the state has to step in to protect children's rights but what are they <laughs> you know and they're having you know it, it's it, it's a very um uh you know it becomes abstract all of a sudden like you know you're taking parents and teachers and then throwing the state into the mix and you know it it, it, it really causes it it, it it makes me wish that there was more of dialogue about the child and and you know i mean th- this is the thing like and again going back to, to 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 all the generalized research we've been talking about yeah it's nice to have generalized research but one of the things that you know pisses off researchers and academics about john holt is he's always talking about an individual child in a certain cer- context he's mm. always describing a child in his classroom or a child at home or a child with the family or children playing and you know not like these aggregate numbers, you know, I mean, people, you know, in, in the schools of education are being taught to pull the levers, you know, of schooling to make, to make the machinery work. And John realized as a lot of teachers do, no, I got to work with, with the child, with the individuals, with their parents, you know, and, and, and that's what, what really, you know, s- 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 sort of gets me about this discussion is, is that, it's moving away from being about parents and children and the relationship of children to society to parents and the government and the government's relationship to their children. Mm-hmm. You know, well, so, so you've been reading uh, Jim Dwyer's book, which he co-authored, yeah. which is just called Homeschooling. I, I believe the subtitle is The History and Philosophy of a Controversial Practice. Correct. And, and I really love that book. And I really enjoyed interviewing uh, Professor Dwyer on this podcast. And so mm-hmm. for anyone who's interested in diving deep into this stuff, and it goes deep, uh, go back and find those episodes with James Dwyer and Elizabeth Bartholet. And mm-hmm. maybe let, let's start with with Dwyer, because I think Bartholet mm-hmm. gets a, a bit more of the, the limelight. But I find uh, Dwyer to be very, uh, he, he feels very uh, even-handed. And along with Bartholet, mm-hmm. he says, listen, there's lots of homeschoolers out there who seem to be doing it right. And it's a positive thing. And he's the first to say homeschooling should stick around. And in the book, he starts by uh, discarding extreme views about homeschooling in both directions that homeschooling mm-hmm. is this magical uh, pixie land uh, or that homeschooling is this evil pernicious force. that should be outlawed. And he said, no, it mm-hmm. should definitely not be outlawed. Um, mm-hmm. But then he goes into this discussion. This is where I'm connecting to what you were just talking about about parents' rights and states' rights. And he essentially mm-hmm. says this whole idea of parents' rights uh, is a myth. And he says the mm-hmm. state has always intervened in kids' lives, um, either via direct kind of government intrusion or via parents. And 
that this this position of of kind of total parental um, I don't know power of total parental control over a kid's education is not actually a very mm-hmm. libertarian position. It's it's granting state power to parents. And uh, anyway, see, he goes on to make more arguments, but I just want to know: do, do you accept that premise that he starts with? You know. I have to say that, first of all, you know, th- there is that like this common law idea that, that we all have just from growing up in, in the culture that we ha- are, that a man's home is his castle, you know, and that, you know, there seems to be a certain inviability invi- about, um, you know, coming into my home, that, you know, in my family. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, people, you know, from the parental rights point of view, um, because, you know, when does, when does the state stop coming into your yeah. house once it, yeah. once it does? You know, where do we draw that line? There's a Very certain di- basic human dignity that we, w- yes. we want to assume. Yeah. Yes. And a right to privacy, right? I yes. mean, you know, not, not everything should be exposed to the state, right? I mean, that doesn't, you know, seem to work in a, in a modern society. Um, but on the other hand, children are not the mere chattel of parents. Pierce versus and, Society of Sisters, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> right. sorry, that, that's uh, children are not, not the mere uh, something of the state. I actually oh, butchered that um, one. Mere creatures of the state. Thank that's, you. Yeah, Pierce. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, you know, we, we have that, that thing, but what are children? We don't want to give them personhood for some reason. And John, you know, John understood that, John Holt. And, and so he was talking about gradually granting the children the same rights of citizenship that adults have. Hmm. Um, I don't see any of that in, um, in, in Dwyer's thinking or um, hmm. Bartholet, <laughs> you know. Um, it's very much, you know, the state must intervene and here's how. Yeah. And why did, did John Holt talk about when he was talking about gradually giving uh, young people the, the same rights as adults? Did he talk about using competency tests? Because that's that's the most like specific policy proposal I've heard from the children's rights movement. It's like you don't need to wait until a certain age to be able to do something. Just prove that you're capable of doing it. I don't think John would have been into the competency test, but I don't, yeah, I could, I could see that as, as, as a, a middle ground, but you know, like, like John, you know, and, and the reason I say that is because one of the most controversial things is, is the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, a lot of people say that, Oh yeah. You know, they're just going to give kids chocolate ice cream and say, vote for me. And they're going to get the vote. You know? <laughs> they might get my and vote John, that way. Well, there you go, Blake. And that's John's point. This is, isn't, that, isn't that what's happening right now? Vote for me and I'll lower your taxes, you know, because you're, you're, you're yeah. one of me. You're in the top 1%, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, it, kids, you know, kids can, can see through that just as easily as, as adults can or can, can just as easily be bought. <laughs> as the adults can, you so, know. I, so you know. Anyway, I, I don't want to go down <laughs> down down that path too far. I, I, that'll I, take us. A, a I was just going <laughs> to say we did another episode about children's rights, specifically with Margie Sanderson. So that's another good one to go deep into this. Okay, so yeah. so uh, James Dwyer's position, uh, he says, listen, kids already receive a lot of home instruction. And I agree with this point. Like everyone's a homeschooler fundamentally. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of contact hours between parents and kids. And he said, um, 
that safe, some level of safety guarantees are important. This is where he agrees with Bartholet. And because he says there's a lot of parents out there with mental illness, drug, I'm quoting him now, drug abuse problems, low IQ, flat earthers, uh, people who are illiterate, illiterate about how government works. And there are many adults out there who would not be allowed to adopt a child if they had to go through that screening process. And his main piece of damning research that he likes to cite is this Connecticut study, which I have not looked at uh, again recently, in which mm -hmm. uh, something like 36% of homeschooling parents in Connecticut had, if the, a background check was done, of the, done on them, they would have found some indication of child maltreatment. And so mm -hmm. to him, he's like, how can you let you know, parents do stuff without any oversight or regulation if maybe a third of them are, you know, poorly treating their kids. Right. So, yeah, this thing about um, there's a, a, an area in Connecticut where 36% of the homeschool children were abused. Um, first of all, I'd like to know, I, I don't know that, that particular study. I've heard of, about it, um, you know, in, in Bartholet's article. And, um, uh, but I've, you know, I've not read read it but you know if it's in connecticut i mean i'd be very curious i mean is it westport where you know all the billionaire hedge funds people live or or is it like in downtown bridgeport you know which is you know it can be a rough neighborhood you know what what do we mean by by that you know and um and and so i i, I first of all I'd just like to know the demographic background on it and then secondly um that is a, a, a surprising, surprisingly high number. So what's, you know, what, what's going on? Because, you know, I've known homeschoolers for 40 years here in my neighborhood and so on. Um, you know, met a, a wide variety of people. You, you know, you, you really can't tell just by talking to somebody. I mean, may, maybe if they're, they were really raving, <laughs> You could, you could get a hint, but, you know, I mean, the, what, what was the child abuse and who perpetrated it? That, that, yeah. you, know, that, you know, I'd like to know a little, little bit more about that. But then also just, just overall, just like, yeah, I, I, I get it that, that, you know, there is this danger, but there's also that danger when your kids go to school, there's that danger when they go to the Cub Scouts, you know, <laughs> You know, what can, you know, but is it 36% of all homeschoolers are, are child abusers? I can't believe that. I mean, that, that, that yeah. seems statistically crazy. I, I, I struggled to believe that also. And, and actually, in the, the next week, week five of this conference, they're directly addressing the question of whether there's yes. more abuse in school or in homeschooling. I'm really looking forward and, to that one. And I, I'm, I'm going to be looking to see, you know, how, how they slice it, because, you know, I'm sure they're, you know, they'll probably go with public schools in comparison. But you've got to look at private schools, too. The Catholic Church, right there, the, the pedophile crisis is ridiculous. And then Tony Alamo and um, the evangelical end, they also have their problem with child abuse in the church. You know? So here, here's how I think about this, Pat. Um, often I'm discussing teenagers and, and their preparation for the real world. And I address the question, are there a bunch of failures to launch in the homeschooling community? And I say, well... I guess it's theoretically true, but if there was this big uh, kind of cover up 
of, of homeschoolers, you know, clearly because of their educational upbringing, failing to, to integrate into adult society, I feel like I probably would have heard about it by now. And so this is the question I want to ask you. If there was some widespread phenomenon of uh, parents using homeschooling laws to, to abuse their kids in horrible ways, isolate them, um, I feel like you who have been in this movement for 40 years, who have been a prominent figure, who you, you speak a lot about homeschooling and unschooling. I feel like you probably would have gotten at least a few emails at this point from concerned, yeah. uh, you know, mm -hmm. grown uh, homeschoolers or their siblings and saying like, listen, you really got to talk about this, this thing that's going on. I mean, d does that mm -hmm. seem like a reasonable assumption to you? It, it does. And, you know, I've certainly heard from disaffected homeschoolers, um, you know, children who were homeschooled and, and felt that their parents didn't do a good enough job um, for them. But even that, that's few and far between compared to the others who say, oh, thank God homeschooling you know, saved my life or, you know, gave, you know, got me out of a terrible situation in school or, you know, helped me discover what my passion is, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so... Yeah, it's not, it's not, it, it, there's no, no big red flag going off from the community itself. But again, and we have to be careful as you and I, uh, you know, are, are, are living in, in, you know, rural Idaho, <laughs> you know, I don't really have our, our fingers on the pulse of what's going on there. Um, but I, I, I rather doubt that, that there's big amounts of, of child abuse yeah. going there at all. You know, <laughs> I mean. This is why I find this fascinating because you and I could totally be deluding ourselves right now. We could just be telling ourselves the story that we want to hear about this idea that, that we are inclined to believe. Like that is, that is true. That's objectively true. That, that could be happening. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so then to muster evidence against that idea that we're just deluding ourselves, um, that's, that's the trick. And then to do that in a way you know, and not just say, well, we haven't received any emails from people saying that this is a, mm -hmm. a horrible thing. You know, that that's not going to convince people who are in these positions of power uh, who are speaking at this conference either. Um, I remember when I did my interview with, with, with James Dwyer, he said, I was talking about unschooling leading to, to perf perfectly fine outcomes. And he said, you know, that's great. I'd love to see the study that, that proves this. And I totally get where he's coming from. And, and at the same time, it's very, very difficult to prove that. Uh, mm -hmm. So anyways, I just find I, this I, I, very yeah, fascinating. And, and, and actually, Blake, now, now you made me wonder, I mean, is there a study that shows that graduating from school as uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the major perfectly social yeah. socialized person. You know? I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not with, aware with, of any such thing with all these life skills and economic security guaranteed. It's like, yeah. I agree. I agree. That's a very yeah. good point, Pat. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. So let's uh, circle back to Bartholet. Now her main argument mm -hmm. is that, um, with the homeschooling laws that currently stand there, there's no guarantee to a right of education or freedom from abuse. She does think that most homeschooling families are, are okay. And that there may be a significant subset of homeschooling families that do need more heavy handed regulation to protect them. And that's why laws exist. She's a law professor. And mm -hmm. so, uh, she wants to see, and she, she has a couple of different approaches she takes her. She does want to see more academic testing, but she seems more concerned about having uh, homeschoolers be exposed to other kids and crucially to other 
adults. And she, I mean, I'll just put it out here. The, the concrete proposal that she puts out there for changing the laws that I feel most amenable to, and I'm very curious how you feel, Pat, is she said, how about homeschoolers see like two different adult mandatory reporters? So that could be a pediatrician, it could be a teacher, it could be, I'm not exactly sure how exactly you become a mandatory reporter. I know that when I've worked at summer camps, we are mandatory reporters. If we have evidence of abuse that's taking place, we we have to Mm -hmm. report it to Child Protective Services. She says, why would it be so nuts to ask, require that all homeschoolers uh, have to go see a couple adults who can at least like have a conversation with the kid and see if there's any bruises on their body. And if so, then they can take action. So just respond to that one first, Pat. Well, uh, you know, the, the first thing is I, maybe a pediatrician would be able to see bruises on a body, but you know, we all know child abusers, especially if they're serial, know how to hide them. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, it's going to take, you know, I mean, usually it's because of sullenness or withdrawal, some sort of, you know, personality change that that would tip a a mandatory reporter off, I would think. Although, obviously, a black eye would or broken limb would do it. But, um, you know, so so I'm not uh, I I completely. First of all, let me let me um, just take a step back and just before we talk about like adding new things, let's talk about what we have. One of the things that that always surprised me is um, John Holt, an early issue of Growing Without Schooling, was talking about um, how we didn't have a problem with you know doing a criminal background check on on prospective homeschoolers. Huh, that's interesting. Um, and. Um, yeah, to make sure that there wasn't the history of child abuse or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that you know, that's before. another concrete proposal yeah. that that Bartholet and Dwyer have. Right, and and you know, and then what I hear is like you know, and and you know, it just boggles my mind. Oh, well, and and like you, I teach in summer camps. I teach in after school programs. So I've had my quarry. You know, I've done the the quarry reports and all that stuff. And you know, um, what I hear is that. Oh, those things are unreliable. You know, they're full of like, you know, um, bad information from, you know, disaffected spouses reporting, you know, bad, you know, lies about their, their spouses and so on. And I'm like, well, then let's clean it up. This is, this, this has got, this should work. <laughs> this is in place for a reason. Um, why, but, you know, even, even outside of, um, you know, people teaching in, uh, summer schools or summer camps, you know, Corey, you know, the, the Corey, uh, stuff is, is apparently a, a real problem. You know, there's a, a yeah, lot I'm of sorry, information. Can, can in you this. define Corey for us? I, I think it stands for, um, oh gosh, in Mass- I forgot what it stands for in Massachusetts, but it's a criminal background check. You know, so before you can work in a public school or in a summer camp, you you you, you okay, sign a sure. document saying that they could do that, and then they they just you know see if you have any any anything against you on you know in, in the criminal courts, and that that's how I understand it works, and that that seems pretty basic. But if we can't even make that work, how are we then going to like go in, like let's get the systems that we currently have in place working because i have heard like you know um lawyers say oh no 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 you, you know we, we can't 
you know, we don't want criminal background checks because there's a lot of misinformation. Well, then what are we supposed to use? You know, um, mm. why do we have to keep coming up with layer after layer? Let's get let's get the layers that we have here working correctly. Mm. Let, let's you know, and then and then let's see if we, we need more. I mean, I don't know why the magic number two is there. I mean, our, we always had annual checkups, and again, who's going to do the annual checkups? If if we had a good healthcare system, no one would that that would not be a problem. You know, well, but that's I, not. You know? There's also this concern about about like regulatory capture. Um, you could have a, a very small town doctor who is doing these mandatory reporting checkups of homeschooling kids, who's you know friends mm. with all the families and is under great pressure not to report anything. So even yeah, that go. would not yeah. be an, an ideal system. That's right. And 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 just just one one for one one other thing. And this is why unschooling was such a big thing for for John Holt because it puts children in the world and puts them around adults more than they are. (laughs) And this is the whole point. I mean, you know, everyone thinks that that it's this antisocial experience. Homeschooling or unschooling, as John will call it, is a very social experience. (laughs) You learn by being social, by being with others and doing things. So, you know, the idea that more school and more more attendance is, is the answer. You know, there are other answers. And one is to, to put kids more out there so that they can be seen by more people and have more experiences and more adults to go to. So I think if we had uh, Jim Dwyer and Elizabeth Bartholet hang out with a bunch of unschoolers and kind of hear about their lives, they'd probably be pleasantly surprised at how out there in the world they are, but would still harbor this concern about, you know, what Bartholet calls this potentially significant subset of families that are under the radar that uh, could be doing bad things. And and this is where I think the book Educated by uh, Tara Westover uh-huh. really plays a role in the same way that the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed sent a bunch of people hiking on the Pacific Crest Trail. I think that yeah. Educated got a lot of people thinking about, well, what about that rural, like, super out there family, uh, you know, out mm-hmm. there, religiously speaking, you know, social beliefs, beliefs about medicine, um, rural Idaho, these kids don't even have birth certificates. You know, there's mm-hmm. just no one looking out for these kids and look at the, you know, this young woman managed to escape this, but think about all the other kids who might not be escaping this, you know, mm-hmm. what about them? And I, I totally get that, that she is concerned about this, this, shadowy possible subset of abused kids that are taking, you know, their parents are taking advantage of very lax or non-existent homeschooling laws to, uh, to do bad things. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you Mm -hmm. feel about that? When you think about these extremes, like the Tara Westovers of the world, like what, Mm -hmm. where does your mind go? Where does your heart go, Pat? Well, first of all, Tara Westover's book is excellent. And I, I think that and anybody that's interested in homeschooling would get something of value out of that book. And um, let's not lose sight of the fact that she does get educated <laughs> in, in her own way. And she does succeed in academic terms, um, you know, despite everything that's happened to her. You know, so, you know, I think you have to look at education as, as more than just 
going to school as you know and as as her book points out you know there, there's a lot of factors there and then as she she herself points out her one of her brothers or two of them but i think one um left the family before she did she he got out of the mess before before she realized she could and then he wound up homeschooling his children successfully. She spoke very, very favorably mm. of, mm-hmm. of, of that in the book. So she's not like damning homeschooling, all homeschooling. But again, like, you know, like was talking about, you know, people talking about the averages versus John Holt talking about a specific child in a specific situation. Yeah, she was in a very bad situation. Her grandparents were aware of it. But, you know, the other thing is that she was in a community that supported that. You know, there there are other families like hers, and you know, and in fact, her parents, you know, sort of became mentors and or leaders in that community towards the end of the book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they become wealthy, <laughs> in fact, you know, um, despite like you know their their horrible uh, treatment of their children, and um, you know, my gosh, I mean the. Yeah, I mean, the, the dad winds up disfiguring himself because of, of, of mm-hmm. you know, his, his poor, the, the way he poorly manages his business. Mm-hmm. You know, he nearly kills his children when they're putting up a roof. And, right? and they have horrible car accidents and they don't go to the hospital. They just. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this is mental illness, you know. So, yeah, people have mental illness, you know. But do we, you know, that if you, if his kids were in school, would it have been any better? Perhaps, but they would still have to go home to the mentally ill dad. You know, um, yeah. it's, well, it's a, it's a difficult situation. Um, but, but again, in terms of regulation, why not like make these background checks be worthwhile and why not, you know, have more opportunities for children besides just school or not school? You know, in order in order to to free them up. I mean, this idea that it's either school or um, not school, and if you're not in school, we have to have special people looking out for you to make sure you're not hurt. Um, I, you know. Yeah. I, it, listen, I, I got I got no better answers than than you do here, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm trying to see all sides of this, and uh, mm-hmm. I I just always end up at this place where I feel like to to really step up regulation beyond something like background checks or visiting a pediatrician uh we'd be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. that's just what my gut tells me Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. also what everyone in this conference seems to be calling for it's that the perennial you know way to to (laughs) to end your inconclusive result it's like well more research is needed right and right i i would love to hear someone answer the question you know, what research could prove that a, a low level of regulation around homeschooling is acceptable? Uh, well, yeah. you know, we have states like Massachusetts that have, you know, relatively low levels. Then you have New York State, which has a high level. And then you have states like Texas, which have no level, you know. It's just, you know, so it, it, we already have like a, a bunch of barometers we could look at. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of data captured about, um, you know, particularly in those states that have no homeschooling regulation as to the health and welfare of the children, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I, again, I, I just wonder about what, what about the health and welfare of the children in school, too? I mean, we should be concerned about children, period. 
you know, and, and, and coming at this with a much broader um, and, and inclusive uh, framework than just trying to ferret out, you know, like this 36% down in Connecticut. You know? Yeah. And I think that a great principle to move forward with is let's advocate for equal treatment, regardless of, of educational environment. And so anything you're going to require yeah. a homeschooler to do, you should require a school student to do. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, although I guess you could just turn that around and immediately say, well, let's just require everyone to go to school. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something that everyone seems to agree with in these panels is that we do need uh, more, like the fact that some significant number of U.S. states, like you don't even have to register your mm-hmm. the fact that you're homeschooling everyone in this conference seems to think that that needs to change and that Mm -hmm. just getting a a basic census, a basic count of how many people are homeschooling and their basic demographics is, is important. Do you agree with that? Um, Well, part of me does um, because, you know, I mean, it makes sense if you want to be complete in counting. Right. Um, But, you know, do we, you know, what I'd like to know is, does it make a difference if you have a, a very no homeschooling law or a very liberal homeschooling law compared to um, uh, a more restrictive laws? Does that does that impact the homeschooling experience? Well, you know, I don't. I don't know, Pat. I don't know if I if I need to answer that question before I can. I can express a preference on, on like state level registration. Like mm-hmm. the arguments that I've heard in favor, in favor of this is uh, what do you have to hide? You know, if you are not one of these mm-hmm. uh, horrible, abusive, secretive right. homeschooling parents, like should be no mm-hmm. reason that you're, you're not going to tell the state that you're homeschooling. And right. from the perspective of, of children's rights, uh, just, and this comes back to like state's rights and parental rights. I love this stuff. Uh, the the state should know that you exist in the first place. Like that that seems mm-hmm. kind of basic to me. Well, you know, you know, Blake, I agree. Yeah. But I want much you know, I, I I've come to that position. Um and in the original version of Teach Your Own, John had a a, a letter from a doctor in the Midwest saying that he refused to give his children birth certificates. And John supported him in that. I cut that. Um, I've changed my opinion on that, especially, mm. um, you know, because I think every, every child should be counted <laughs> as a person, should be known as an individual. Mm-hmm. And given, given how our society has, has evolved into this credentialed society, um, and especially after reading, I mean, I, I, I had concluded this before I read uh, Educated, but when, when, you real, when you get to the part of the book where she doesn't have a birth certificate and how it's like almost impossible for her to do anything in society, get into college, find, find a house, an apartment, yeah. do anything, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's a real basic thing. Like, you know, even the ancient Romans, you know, Jesus had to go get <laughs> sense, you know, be part of the census, you know, <laughs> come on, you know, but um, so, so yeah, I don't have a, you know, I, I don't have a problem, problem with that. Um, but, but it really, you know, it, it really do, does. I mean, it, it, it's a larger issue of, um, you know, of freedom 
And again, like, like I said, there is no such thing as, as pure freedom. We all have to live within, within the constraints of the society or the locales that, that, that we live in, you know? Um, but we are creating these, these um, laws, you know, or, or debating them now. And um, we have to be very careful yeah. because th- this is, you know, um, aff- affecting uh, people's lives. And I would like to see children protected. I would like to see them have the right to say no and not get the, the crap beat out of them by their parents for saying no. Um, but at the same time, you know, what happens? This is, you know, uh, we're going to have the state step in and put them in foster homes. Is that really, or or, or an orphanage or, you know, I mean, you know, what is, what, what would, you know, we we really need to talk about like, like what is a, a child's role in our society? Are they just to be, you know, the little mini me's of their parents, or are they truly individuals? And if they're truly individuals, how do we nurture that? Pat Franca, this is why you are a guest on this podcast. You are asking all the right questions. <laughs> uh, I think this is a beautiful place to, to wrap it up. Is there uh, anything else you wanted to throw out there before we meet again to discuss the second half of this conference? I can't think of anything right now, but if I do, we'll bring it up the next the next conversation, that, which I that look sounds forward good. to. Yeah, and if anyone wants to watch the videos, uh, they've been fully recorded, uh, everything we've been discussing, just Google post-pandemic future of homeschooling, Harvard, and you'll find it. So mm-hmm. thanks for following along. Talk to you again soon, Pat. Same here, Blake. It's been a pleasure.